This is America in the Morning from Westwood One. Good morning, I'm John Trout. It's Friday, February 16th, 2024. Here's what's coming up on America in the Morning. Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis is hitting back at misconduct claims. Confused, you think I'm on trial? I'm Ed Donahue. Lawmakers hear more from the White House on a Russian anti-satellite weapon. I'm John Stolness in Washington. Lying to the FBI about the Bidens and their ties to a Ukrainian energy company. Lisa Dwyer has that story. Senator Joe Manchin hinting at a potential run as a third-party candidate. Who I would ask right now is Mitt Romney. I'm Clayton Neville. On Wall Street, stocks are coming off a winning day. The S&P 500 index opens this morning at a new all-time high. I'm Jessica Ettinger. GOP senator drops out of the race. But why? Jury deliberations could begin soon in a lawsuit against the National Rifle Association. I'm Donna Water. All ahead on America in the Morning. It was at times contentious as Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis took the stand in her misconduct hearing. As Ed Donahue reports, at stake is whether she or the person she brought in as special prosecutor in the 2020 election interference case against Donald Trump violated any laws and how all of this will impact how the case against the former president will be brought. It is a lie. It is a lie. Mr. Sena, thank you. We're going to take five minutes. Be back in five. Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis is hitting back at misconduct claims that threaten the future of the Donald Trump election interference case in Georgia. I very much want to be here, so I'm not a hostile witness. I very much want to be here. Not so much that you're hostile, Ms. Willis. It'd be an adverse witness. Your interests are opposed to Ms. Merchant's. Thank you. Ms. Merchant's interests are contradictory. Contrary to democracy, Your Honor, not to mine. Trump wants Willis and her team off the case because of a romantic relationship with Nathan Wade, the man she picked to prosecute Trump. So um, you and Mr. Wade met in October 2019 at a conference? That is correct. I think in one of your motions you tried to implicate and slept with him at that conference, which I find to be extremely offensive. Willis says to her, a man is not a plan. There was tension always in our relationship, which is why I was give him his money back. I don't need anybody to foot my bills. The only man who's ever foot my bills completely is my daddy. Willis pointed out Trump attorney Ashley Merchant's interests are contrary to democracy. You've been intrusive into people's personal lives. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial. Nathan Wade also admitted having sex with Willis during his separation from his estranged wife, even though he claimed in a divorce filing that wasn't the case. You said in the affidavit that you roughly shared travel, though, correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So this roughly sharing travel, you're saying she reimbursed you? She did. And where did you deposit the money she reimbursed you? Oh, it was cash. She didn't. She didn't give me any checks. So she paid you cash for her share of all these vacations. And so all of the vacations that she took, she paid you cash for. Yes, ma'am. And you purchased all of these vacations on your business credit card, correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And you included those in deductions on your taxes, correct? No, ma'am. No, you did not. All I needed. I'm Ed Donahue. A day after the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee urged the White House to declassify information about a potentially serious national security threat, lawmakers heard more about a Russian anti-satellite weapon from the National Security Advisor. John Stolness has more on the story. Jake Sullivan briefed senior lawmakers yesterday to address the issue, which White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby confirmed 
involved attempts by the Russians to put an anti-satellite weapon into space. This is not an active capability that's been deployed. And though Russia's pursuit of this particular capability is troubling, there is no immediate threat to anyone's safety. We are not talking about a weapon that can be used to attack human beings or cause physical destruction here on Earth. Speaking at the White House briefing yesterday, Kirby was asked about U.S. defense capabilities against a weapon like this that would theoretically be able to shoot down U.S. satellites. I would not uh, speak definitively about our, uh, our strategic deterrent capabilities one way or the other. We just don't, we don't talk about that publicly. Over at the Pentagon, Press Secretary Major General Pat Ryder didn't get into specifics, but confirmed this is not an immediate threat or an active capability by Russia. On any given day, the, the Department of Defense monitors threats from around the world. We work hard to mitigate those threats uh, and we'll take appropriate action in defense of the nation. And so today is no different. Following the meeting, the man who set off the firestorm, Chairman Mike Turner, said he was encouraged by Sullivan's briefing. I think the bottom line is, is that we all came away with a very strong impression that the administration is taking this very seriously and that the administration has a plan in place. Uh, we look forward to supporting them uh, as they go to implement it. Some, like Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin, disagreed with Turner's decision to put out a vague statement about the threat on social media Wednesday. I certainly would not have done it like that, but in any event, we are where we are at this point, and um, it's very troubling. However, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi defended Turner's response. Well, he's the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, and I respect his judgment. And we'll be seeing, we're going now to Munich, uh, and so we'll be discussing it further there. But uh, uh, I don't criticize him, no. One can expect this to be a major topic at the Munich Security Conference in Germany this weekend. John Stolnes, Washington. When we return on America in the Morning, Mansion, a bid for the presidency, after these messages. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. A good amount of snow in the West is needed during the winter time to provide for healthy conditions throughout the year. We have another round of storms headed into the West with the forecast. Here's AccuWeather.com meteorologist Latroy Thornton. A new storm will affect the West Coast starting later tonight, bringing the latest round of heavy rain and mountain snow to Northern California and parts of Oregon and Washington State as well. A second stronger wave of moisture arrives later Sunday with heavy rain reaching the Southern California coastline as we start the new week for Monday. 
This will worsen flooding concerns with several inches of rain possible along a swath of territory that already has had rainfall well above the historical average, even during this, the wet season. A cold front will push through the Rockies with snow for some in the Antrena Mountain West, including southern Idaho, the southern half of Wyoming, western Nebraska, and even north-central Colorado through the day, before reaching much of eastern Colorado and northeastern Utah by Friday night. In the nation's center, a clipper will bring snow to the plains and into the Midwest. This storm will lead to a general 1 to 3 inches of snow from northern Missouri and central Illinois into southern Ohio and Pennsylvania, along with northern and western Virginia, with higher amounts for the high ground of West Virginia and southwestern Pennsylvania. Showers will spread into the south today, with wet conditions in Baton Rouge, Corpus Christi, and Memphis spreading eastward into northern Alabama and Georgia by daybreak on Saturday. Meanwhile, high pressure will build into the northern plains and the upper Midwest, along with a rare push of colder air this winter behind the clipper, giving a break from a rather warm start to the season. And that's the weather across America. In Phoenix, Arizona, it will be beautiful today with plenty of sun and a high of 73. However, Nashville will see clouds today with occasional afternoon rain and thunder this afternoon with a high of 61. That's the nation's weather. I'm AccuWeather.com meteorologist Latroy Thornton. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and YouTube. Just search America in the Morning in your favorite listening app. I'm John Trout. An FBI informant has been charged with lying to his handler about ties between President Joe Biden and son Hunter Biden and a Ukrainian energy company. The latest from correspondent Lisa Dwyer. Prosecutors say that Alexander Smirnov falsely told FBI agents in June 2020 that executives associated with the Ukrainian energy company Burisma paid Hunter and Joe Biden $5 million each in 2015 and 2016. The allegations became a flashpoint in Congress over the summer as Republicans demanded that the FBI release the unredacted form documenting the allegations. The Smirnoff charges were filed by Justice Department Special Counsel David Weiss, who has separately charged Hunter Biden with firearm and tax violations. Smirnoff was indicted on charges of making a false statement and creating a false and fictitious record. I'm Lisa Dwyer. Senator Joe Manchin hasn't said he'll make a third-party bid for the presidency, but he has pondered the idea. Correspondent Clayton Neville has that story. During a Q&A at a City Club of Cleveland breakfast, Senator Joe Manchin said that he has an idea of who his running mate could be if, in fact, he does enter the presidential race as a third-party candidate. So hypothetically, if I was picking my running mate, I, I would ask, uh, knew, I would ask really who I would ask right now is Mitt Romney. Manchin's not running for re-election, but is on a nationwide listening tour. Mitt Romney's not running again either, but Manchin also suggested Senator Rob Portman. Maybe Rob Portman. Okay. Rob Portman would be right there too. Rob's a dear friend of mine. What a, what a good man. What a good man. Some Democrats worry that a presidential run by Manchin could take votes away from President Biden in the general election. But Manchin said a bid isn't certain and that his current tour of the country is meant to see if he can muster enough support. As for the current race, former President Donald Trump leads former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley in the polls in the race for the Republican nomination. President Biden, of course, running for Democrats and Robert Kennedy Jr. running as an independent. I'm Clayton Neville. When we return on America in the Morning, the move away from electric vehicles after these messages.
Welcome back. You're with America in the Morning. The tech sector may have had some high-flying stocks of late, but it's also leading the way in job losses. Cisco says they'll be cutting 5% of their global workforce, or about 4,000 jobs. Restaurant software firm Toast cited operating expense efficiency as the reason they'll be parting ways with 550 staffers. While hydrogen fuel cell systems maker Plug Power also announced layoffs to reduce operating costs, these follow the recent layoffs announced at Microsoft, IBM, Google, Amazon, and many other tech companies. CNBC's Jessica Ettinger checks in with Friday Business. Wall Street opens this morning after a winning day for the major averages yesterday, and the S&P 500 index is at a new all-time high this morning, 5,029. The market's sort of... Just forgot last Tuesday's big plunge over a small tick higher in inflation for January. They also shrugged off retail sales coming in much worse than expected for January. Expected to be down two-tenths of a percent. It's been running pretty hot lately. Well, we ended up with down eight-tenths of a percent. That is the biggest drop since March of last year. CNBC's Rick Santelli. Some investors say you really have to put January sales numbers in context. It doesn't mean U.S. consumers are struggling. January is an odd month, right? It's between the, the holidays, which is obviously a big spending period, and before spring. So there's kind of a wall. Clearly, the data decelerated. I wouldn't read too much into that, given the oddities of, of spending in January overall. Oppenheimer's Brian Nagel on CNBC. Jeep and Dodge parents Stellantis shares hit an all-time high yesterday on strong profit growth. And it's announced a $3 billion share buyback. Also hitting an all-time high yesterday, Facebook and Instagram parent Meta. Even as that company faces more lawsuits over danger on its platforms for teenagers. Home prices keep ticking higher. Redfin says the median U.S. home sale price rose 6.1% in the four weeks ending last Sunday. Over the same period a year ago. Inventory is low. So few homes are on the market. What's out there is more expensive. Jessica, what's happening to the auto darling, the electric vehicle? Yeah, well, they're expensive and demand has fallen. So the big three automakers are planning to make fewer of those EVs and to make more of what people are asking for, which are hybrids. Over at Ford, the pivot to hybrids is on. And they're also watching a competitor very closely. Ford CEO Jim Farley talking at a Wolf Research Conference, getting Ford up to speed in EVs and the competition. Well, I watched Europe. I was, you know, there to help build Toyota Europe from nothing. And then I ran Ford of Europe. And the Chinese are 10% of the EV market in Europe. And they were zero two years ago. So don't take anything for granted. The demand is in the market for hybrids, and they are pivoting to develop and sell even more hybrids. CNBC's Phil LeBeau. On today's watch list, we get the latest on inflation at the wholesale level. The PPI, Producer Price Index, will be out this morning. And it's the last trading day before the three-day President's Day holiday weekend. The markets will be closed on Monday. Thanks for that reminder. CNBC's Jessica Edinger with Friday Business. When we return on America in the Morning, jury now to decide the case involving the National Rifle Association. We're back after these messages. America in the Morning continues. Montana Republican Congressman Matt Rosendale is dropping his U.S. Senate bid 
less than a week after he officially launched it. Politico is reporting that Rosendale had publicly explored a campaign for months, but within hours after he announced his Senate bid, former President Donald Trump endorsed military veteran Tim Sheehy. Rosendale says that the Trump endorsement of Sheehy will be too much for him to overcome. Montana is a top target for Republicans looking to take control of the Senate as Republicans look to unseat Democrat John Tester, who's one of just two Democratic senators running for re-election in states Trump won in 2020. A case against former NRA leadership involving lavish spending now heads to the jury. Correspondent Donna Warder is following the case. The civil case brought by New York Attorney General Letitia James alleges that the NRA's executives, including former CEO Wayne LaPierre, misspent millions of dollars of the nonprofit organization's money on lavish perks for themselves. LaPierre resigned from the NRA days before the trial, and he claims he hadn't realized that travel tickets, hotel stays, meals, and access to yachts were considered gifts. Prosecutors are asking the court to order LaPierre, NRA General Counsel John Frazier, former finance chief Wilson Phillips and LaPierre's ex-chief of staff, Joshua Powell, to pay the NRA back. I'm Donna Water. America in the Morning for Friday, February 16th, 2024, is produced by Jeff McKay. Senior producer, Kevin Delaney. I'm John Trout. This is Westwood One. This is America in the Morning from Westwood One. I'm John Trout. Coming up this half hour... Police in Kansas City are investigating a shooting that marked the end of the Chiefs' Super Bowl celebration. There are 23 victims. I'm Jennifer King. Continued fighting and more global support for Ukraine as the two-year mark approaches since Russia invaded. I'm Clayton Neville. Israeli forces have stormed the main hospital in southern Gaza. I'm Karen Shamas. Natural gas truck explodes in a busy intersection. Correspondent Haya Panjwani reports. Then, new details in the Biden classified documents case. The first of Donald Trump's four criminal cases is set to start March 25th and last about six weeks. I'm Julie Walker. Back after these messages. Welcome back. You're with America in the Morning. The Central Plains and Midwest, the next targets for areas of snowfall today as we head into the weekend. More on the system from AccuWeather.com meteorologist LaTroy Thornton. A fairly active pattern is in place for parts of the country for today and tonight, with the second of two clippers tracking across the plains and into the Midwest. This storm will produce a swath of general 1 to 3 inches of snow from northern Missouri and central Illinois, eastward through southern parts of Ohio and Pennsylvania, then southward from there into northern and western Virginia. However, as the storm pushes to the east, some of the higher terrain of northeastern West Virginia and far south-central Pennsylvania will be able to pick up 3 to 6 inches of snow through Saturday morning. Even within this area, some high-elevation locations may be able to approach double-digit snowfall totals, but any places picking up accumulating snow may experience slick and difficult travel until this storm pushes offshore. Elsewhere, the cold front dropping southward through the Rockies will deliver a burst of snow across portions of the northwest and into the Intermountain West, including much of southern Idaho, central and southern Wyoming, western Nebraska, and even north-central Colorado by day's end, with snow also spreading across much of eastern Colorado and northeastern Utah through Friday night. Showers will build across the south through today as a new storm enters the picture from Mexico, 
with wet weather likely to affect cities such as Houston, New Orleans, and Little Rock, before pushing eastward into northern Alabama and Georgia by daybreak on Saturday. Meanwhile, high pressure will build into the northern plains and the upper Midwest, along with a rare push of colder air this winter behind the clipper, giving a break from a rather mild season that has had, for the most part, featured temperatures well above the historical average. I'm AccuWeather.com meteorologist Latroy Thornton. Follow America in the Morning when you download your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and YouTube. I'm John Trout. Additional details are emerging as police say a dispute between several people led to the gunfire at the end of the Super Bowl victory parade for the Kansas City Chiefs. As correspondent Jennifer King reports, one person was killed. 22 others, including nine children, were injured in an incident that left the Kansas City mayor irate and demanding answers. I'm heartbroken. First of all, I'm praying for the victims and the families impacted. I start with them. Um, I'm incredibly upset, disappointed. I was there with my wife. I was there with my mother. Uh, we never would have thought that we, along with Chiefs players, along with fans, hundreds of thousands of people, would be forced to run for our safety today. There are 23 victims of yesterday's shooting. Police Chief Stacy Graves says three people were detained and firearms have been recovered. This appeared to be a dispute between several people that ended in gunfire. The 22 victims age range between eight years old and 47 years old. At least half of our victims are under the age of 16. As mentioned yesterday, we have subjects detained, two of which are juvenile. Radio station KKFI-FM identified DJ Lisa Lopez-Galvin as the mother of two who was killed. Paul Contreras of Bellevue, Nebraska talked to KETV. One guy was hollering saying, you know, stop him or catch him, you know, tackle him, whatever. And he's just, just bailing running. And out of nowhere, I heard that guy hollering, so I'm just like, okay, well, I'm right here. And I just, I never think about it. It was just a reaction. I didn't hesitate. It was just, just do it. He was one of the bystanders who helped tackle a suspected gunman. And as I'm tackling him, I see his weapon either fall out of his hand or out of a sleeve. Investigators are asking witnesses and victims to call a dedicated hotline as they gather more information. Parades, rallies, schools, movies, it seems like almost nothing is safe. And we had hundreds of law enforcement there. I'm Jennifer King. NATO and the U.S. is pledging its continued support as the two-year mark approaches since Russia invaded Ukraine. Correspondent Clayton Neville reports. February 24th will mark two years since the start of the continued war. On Thursday, the two countries exchanged airstrikes. Cities like Kiev and Lviv hit in Ukraine and a Russian border city hit not long after a Russian warship was sunk off the Crimea coast. Meanwhile, NATO leaders are meeting in Brussels. U.S. Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryder says that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is in full support of NATO partnership. Secretary Austin also released a statement earlier today following the conclusion of the NATO defense ministerial meeting in Brussels. In it, the secretary reaffirmed that the United States will continue to stand with our NATO allies and defend the sovereignty and the territory of every alliance member, stating, quote, every inch of it. Our commitment to Article 5 remains ironclad, end quote. Conversations among world leaders have been happening for close to two years now, as well as the fighting. Secretary Austin also underscored that NATO remains the greatest alliance in history 
and that NATO today is stronger, more united, and more vital to our shared future than ever. NATO announcing a new training center for Ukraine this week in Poland. It's believed the new center would let Ukraine share lessons learned from Russia's war and create a structure for Ukrainian forces to learn and train alongside their allied counterparts. Closer to home, concerns are growing in Congress related to an anti-satellite capability Russia is said to be developing. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. I would not uh, speak definitively about our uh, our strategic deterrent capabilities one way or the other. We just don't we don't talk about that publicly. But we're taking this potential threat very, very seriously. While more financial help for Ukraine is stalled in the U.S. Congress, other countries are stepping up. Germany pitching in $100 million this week for military help for Ukraine. I'm Clayton Neville. In the Middle East, the United States continues to play a role in the negotiations that include Egypt, Qatar, and Israel to end the war in Gaza and get Hamas to return the more than 100 Israeli hostages it's holding. As Karen Shamas reports, the Israeli military went into a hospital in the enclave where dozens of terror suspects were apprehended and in the north fired airstrikes at Hezbollah positions in Lebanon after the terror group fired at an Israeli military base. The Israeli army said it was a limited operation, seeking the remains of hostages taken by Hamas. The raid comes a day after Israel's army sought to evacuate thousands of displaced Palestinians who were seeking shelter at the Nasser hospital in Khan Yunis. The military said it had credible intelligence that Hamas had held hostages at the hospital and that the remains of hostages might still be inside. And Hamas leaders, wherever they're hiding, should know they're on borrowed time. NASA hospital has been the latest focal point of Israel's ground offensive. Israeli troops, tanks and snipers have surrounded NASA hospital for at least a week. Surrounded by heavy fire, several people inside the compound have been killed, according to health officials. Israel has the right to take military action against those Hamas battalions that pose a threat to it. At the same time, they have an obligation to make sure that they only do so in a way that puts civilian protection first. Israeli airstrikes have killed at least 10 Lebanese civilians in a single day. Hezbollah has vowed to retaliate. The most recent death toll makes it the deadliest day of fighting in more than four months of cross-border exchanges. The strikes which hit the Lebanese village of Nabatiye and another village in the south came hours after a projectile from Lebanon killed an Israeli soldier. Neighbor Al-Hajj Mohammed described the incident in Nabatiye to the AP. Late at night we were up when we heard two impacts. We heard the sound of two shells hitting. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller told reporters the U.S. are wary of any escalation of fighting in the area. It has been one of our uh, primary objectives from the outset of this conflict to see that it not be widened, to see that it not be escalated in any way. Miller said he hoped the issues could be resolved through diplomacy. I'm Karen Shamas. Alleged hush money payments. A judge has ordered Donald Trump to testify in that case. More on the story when America in the Morning continues after these messages. Welcome back. This is America in the Morning. I'm John Trout. Nine firefighters were hurt when a truck powered by compressed natural gas exploded following a traffic accident in Los Angeles. Correspondent Haya Panjwani reports. 
It was a clean air vehicle. It was powered by compressed natural gas, or CNG. Six minutes after arriving on scene, one of those CNG tanks exploded. And it tragically injured nine of our members, two of them critically. The explosion occurred shortly before 7 in the morning in the Wilmington neighborhood, a fire department spokesperson said in an interview. The wreckage of the explosion left debris around the remains of the truck and knocked down nearby signage. It also exploded a nearby transformer. A department spokesperson said the explosion was significant. However, the unique aspect of this is that the truck was not powered by the usual fuel like diesel or gasoline. It was a clean air vehicle. It was powered by compressed natural gas, or CNG. This can take a moment to recognize how intrinsically dangerous firefighting can be. I'm Haya Panjwani. Special counsel Robert Hur, who investigated President Joe Biden's handling of classified documents, but in the end declined to bring charges, is expected to testify at a public hearing in front of the House Judiciary Committee March 12th. Fox News is reporting that Hur, in a 388-page report released last week, did not recommend criminal charges against the president and said he wouldn't bring charges against Biden, even if he were not in the Oval Office. However, Hur offered a deeply damaging portrait of an aging president beset with memory issues who had trouble recalling dates and details, allegations Biden refuted. House Republicans have also asked the Department of Justice to release the full transcripts and recordings of Hur's interviews with Biden. A judge in New York ordered Donald Trump to face trials starting in March over hush money payments made to keep an alleged affair out of the media prior to the 2016 election. Correspondent Julie Walker reports. The first of Donald Trump's four criminal cases is set to start March 25th and last about six weeks. That decision from the New York judge overseeing his hush money trial, the former president calling it election interference, speaking from the hallway outside the courtroom. I'll be here during the day and I'll be campaigning during the night. The Republican presidential frontrunner is also under indictment in Washington, D.C. and Georgia for election interference and Florida for mishandling classified documents. This New York case brought by the Manhattan D.A. about alleged payments to keep extramarital affairs from coming out during the 2016 election, which Trump denies, is considered the least legally perilous of the four. In Manhattan Criminal Court, I'm Julie Walker. Microsoft has said in an announcement this week that their AI is being used to hack accounts that are controlled by China, Russia, and Iran. Here's Chuck Palm with that in today's tech report. Microsoft has said in a report on Wednesday that they have caught hackers using its AI tools. They claim that state-backed hackers from Russia, China, and Iran have been using tools from the Microsoft-backed OpenAI to hone their skills and trick targets, according to the report. Claiming to have traced back the attacks to the Russian military, the Revolutionary Guard of Iran, and Chinese and North Korean governments, they have tried to perfect their hacking campaigns using the large language models. Tom Burt, Microsoft's Vice President for Customer Security, told Reuters in an interview, independent of whether there's any violation of the law or violation of terms of service, we just don't want these actors that we've identified, and we don't want them to have access to this technology. Microsoft announced this as they rolled out a blanket ban on state-backed hacking groups using AI products. China's U.S. Embassy ambassador said it is opposed to groundless smears and accusations against China. 
For more tech news, visit allthetoptech.tech. I'm Chuck Palm. With Friday Sports on America in the Morning, here's our Robert Workman. NBA last night, the Timberwolves jumped out to a 30-point lead in the first quarter and rolled over the Blazers 128-91. They head into the All-Star break on a four-game winning streak and with the best record in the Western Conference. Warriors outran the Jazz 141-37. Klay Thompson came off the bench for the first time since his rookie season and had his best game of the year, 35 points, including seven three-pointers. One other game, the Grizzlies surprised the Bucks. All-Star weekend begins tonight in Indianapolis with the Celebrity Game and the Rising Stars. Saturday night skills competition features a three-point contest between Stephen Curry and WNBA star Sabrina Ionescu. Then it's the 73rd All-Star Game on Sunday with a return to the East versus West format. Iowa star Caitlin Clark became the all-time NCAA scoring leader in women's hoops last night, putting up a career high and school record 49 in the Hawkeyes' win over Michigan to move past Kelsey Plum with 3,569 points. Still within her reach, the AIAW record set before the NCAA era, Lynette Woodard of Kansas scored 3,649 points. And then there's the men's record set by Pistol Pete Maravich of LSU. 3,667 points. He did that in just three years before freshmen became eligible. NHL, the Kraken crushed the Bruins 4-1. Boston's fourth loss in five games, all at home. Coach Jim Montgomery tried to shrug it off. We had incredible looks. We hit posts, you know. Those those things happen. You have nights like that. The Panthers got 45 saves from Anthony Stolarz in their whitewash of the Sabres. That's Florida's 10th straight road win, pulling them level with the Bruins at the top of the Eastern Conference. The league-leading Canucks ripped the Red Wings to hit the 80-point mark. The other division leaders won as well. The Stars routed the Predators, and the Rangers rode a Chris Kreider hat trick to a romp over the Canadians. Maple Leafs shaded the Flyers in overtime. Austin Matthews with a natural header in the second. He's got 45 goals this season. That's Friday Sports. Thank you, sir. When we return on America in the Morning, a struggling economy finds many Americans not able to keep up financially. That and more when America in the Morning continues after these messages. back on America in the Morning. These days, with everything costing more, making a car payment is becoming an increasing concern for many Americans. Stephen Kaufman has the story. A growing percentage of Americans are being squeezed by rising auto loan interest rates, stubborn inflation, and the end to federal pandemic aid. The end result, Americans are falling behind on their car payments for vehicles that many consumers consider to be outrageously expensive. The prices of cars are a lot higher. We're looking at average transaction prices on new cars that are close to $50,000 now. Automotive reporter for Consumer Reports, Benjamin Preston, says car prices are influenced by several factors. Over the years, technology becomes more involved. There's better safety technology. Cars are just more expensive to produce. And of course, the material prices have gone up over the past couple of years. There have been supply chain delays. The demands of car buyers are adding to the sticker price as well. Manufacturers are prioritizing higher cost trim levels because they're more profitable and people are buying them. The end result, prices have left a growing number of car owners making payments of more than $1,000 a month. Recent data shows 6.1% of subprime borrowers delinquent or at least 60 days past due on their auto loan. 
Will new cars one day become unaffordable for most Americans? That's really difficult to answer. I think it depends on how people's pay goes up or how transportation needs change over the years. The average interest rate for new cars is about 10%, around 14% for used cars. I'm Stephen Kaufman. With a holiday weekend starting today, some will be heading to the theaters as a new superhero movie is hoping to snare audiences. Kevin Carr has a sneak peek at Madam Web. Superhero movies can lead to existential quandaries, like is a Spider-Man movie a Spider-Man movie without Spider-Man? I've seen that man before. He was in the Amazon with my mom when she was researching spiders right before she died. Madam Webb stars Dakota Johnson as an ambulance driver who discovers she has mystical spider powers because her mother was bitten by an Amazonian spider while giving birth. I don't understand what's happening. Just go with it. She uses her precognition. Wait, is that something spiders have? I can see the future. Seeing the future is only the start. Anyways, she can see the death of three teenage girls and tries to save them. Those girls need your protection. And you thought that radioactive spider bit was hogwash. It's honestly like the least weird thing that's happened all day. The film takes place in 2003, and it feels like it's been made then, in the era of Ben Affleck's Daredevil and Nicolas Cage's Ghost Rider, complete with goopy CGI and pulpy dialogue. If you want to live... You have to trust me. Spider-Man is a box office juggernaut, so naturally Sony wants to retain the rights to the characters. I know, this sounds crazy. The problem is that without Spider-Man himself, we're left with bizarre secondary characters. And without the oversight of Marvel Studios, we get nonsensical plots with cringeworthy dialogue. That man's trying to kill you. What? Who are you? What is going on? Remember, this was the studio that brought you Morbius. Let's try that again. Madam Web gets two spider webs out of five. I'm Kevin Carr, and that's the way I see it. That's our show for today, Friday, February 16th, 2024. America in the Morning is produced by Jeff McKay. Senior producer, Kevin Delaney. I'm John Trout. This is Westwood One. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.